the mitzvah of Sukkot is the mitzvah of being happy. We are called, this is called the festival of joy. Each of our three festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, each have their own um, kind of period or unique time. Passover is called the time of our freedom, Zman Chirotenu. Shavuot is called the time of the giving of the Torah, Zman Matan Torotenu. And Sukkot is called Zman Simchatenu, the time of our joy or the time of our happiness. In fact, the Torah commands us to be happy on Sukkot. It is a commandment that on Sukkot we are supposed to be happy. It's good to be happy year-round. We'll soon talk about why. And in general, on festivals we should be happy. But we have a special commandment to be happy on Sukkot. So Sukkot is the festival of joy. And the Sukkah itself is a place that we're supposed to celebrate in the sukkah. The lulav and etrog represent celebration. The Talmud says that the lulav and etrog represents, we march around every day in the synagogue, we march around the bima with our lulav and etrog, and the Talmud says it's like a victory march after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we were in judgment, we won our trial, so to speak. In other words, we are certain that God will give us a good year, and so therefore we are happy now on Sukkot, and we march around with the Lulav and the Etrog. So Sukkot is a time of joy. The main symbol of joy on Sukkot, though, was not the Sukkah or the Lulav and Etrog, was something else that was unique to temple times. Just a little backgrounder. In the temple, of course, every day they brought special sacrifices, as well as on holidays, on festivals, on Shabbat, they would bring extra sacrifices called the Musaf, which means the additional sacrifices. Every time they brought a sacrifice in the temple, the Torah commands us, whenever you bring a sacrifice, to take wine and pour it on the altar. And there was a special hole in the altar that they would pour it down, and it would go down to a place under the altar. So every time they offered a sacrifice, they had to pour water, uh, sorry, pour wine on the altar. On Sukkot, our traditions tell us that in addition to pouring wine on the altar, we also have to pour water on the altar. When you bring the Musaf, the additional sacrifice for Sukkot, the special additional sacrifice, you have to pour water on the altar. And there was a special hole just for the water, they would pour it down, uh, pouring water on the altar. Now, Before they got to the pouring of the water on the altar, the pouring of the water was the most festive event in Judaism. And the Talmud describes in very, or the Mishnah describes in very great detail how they poured water, what the celebration, before they poured water on the altar, which was called in Hebrew, Simchat Bet HaShoeva, the joy of the drawing of the water. And it tells us how as soon as the first day of Yom Tov ended, on the first eve of Chol HaMoed, because they wouldn't celebrate on Yom Tov itself, on the first eve of Chol HaMoed, um, that's the, the um, mundane days of Sukkot, they would make a big, uh, they, would make, they would have big lamps, gigantic lamps, in the courtyard in front of the temple known as the women's courtyard, and everybody would fill in. The Levites would stand on their, um, they would have these steps that kind of they used as a uh, platform or a stage. They would play on, the Levites would play music, and everybody would sing and dance um, all night. 
Um, this was the first place, by the way, where in Judaism where we separated men and women. They had special balconies upstairs for the women and special, and the men would be downstairs in the big courtyard. Um, and they would sing, dance all night. It's, uh, the Talmud says, it describes how they would juggle um, torches with fire, juggle fire, um, juggle not three, the Talmud says, but eight at a time, they would, they would juggle. And it was a great celebration. All the great leaders, all the great um, religious leaders would all be there and would all be dancing and everybody would be celebrating all night. It was such a great celebration, says the Talmud, that if you did not see the joy of this Sukkot joy they had in the temple, you have never seen joy before. This was the party. You think you've been to a party, you haven't been to this party, you've never been to a real party before. You've never seen joy before, says the Talmud. And they would party all night, they would celebrate all night until the morning. First thing in the morning, they would go down to the Shiloach pool. The Shiloach pool was a pool in Jerusalem that... Um, where a natural spring had been diverted to flow into the Shiloach pool, um, which was a pool where you could draw natural water from, and Kohanim would go and bring water, and there was a whole big procession to go down to bring the water, and they would bring it back up, and then they would pour this water on the altar. Today the temple no longer stands, and uh, we no longer bring sacrifices, we no longer have the water pouring, yet we still celebrate Sukkot um, in many... um, in many Jewish communities, larger Jewish communities in Israel, in, on the East Coast, um, even here on the West Side, they have on Sukkot, they have big, big parties, big, big celebrations, called still Simchat Beit HaShoivah, the joy of the drawing of the water, and we still celebrate and have big celebrations, big concerts um, every night of Sukkot. So it's really our big celebratory time, time to party. But Why? What is so exciting about water or about pouring water on the altar? Why was that the most joyous event in Judaism? And why is Sukkot our most joyous holiday? Why is Sukkot the happiest holiday of the year? Now first, before we explain what's special about Sukkot and what's special about water... Let's first talk about why it's important to be happy. The Torah tells us, we had this a couple weeks ago, where it tells us if you follow what God says, everything gives us a long list of all the blessings that will come true. If you do not follow what God says, all these horrible things will happen to you. And it goes through a very long list of terrible things that will happen. If you do not do what you're supposed to, you do not follow God's commandments. In, when the Torah lists those terrible things, the Torah tells us that God will be punishing you because you did not serve God with joy. In other words, if you don't serve God and don't do what God wants in it, when you're happy, then all these bad things will happen to you. So implication is you're expected to always be happy. If you're not happy... And get yourself into a lot of trouble, right? You, we all want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. In fact, uh, many believe that the right to happiness, the right to the pursuit of happiness, is a basic right. It's enshrined in our, um, it's um, enshrined in the Declaration, our Declaration of Independence. Um, so, and happiness is very important. It's a key to any level of success. 
If you're happy, you'll be healthier. There's a lot of research on this um, now. If you're happy, you'll be healthier. You'll be more successful. And people will like being around you. If you're happy, you'll live longer. You'll have better relationships. Life is much, much better for those that are happy. And you have a positive impact on those around you when you're happy. I know Dennis Prager likes to say, someone mentioned to me earlier, that people have a moral obligation to be happy. Now, even for us, for, for us Jews that we want to follow God's commandments, we are told that it is very difficult to follow God's commandments when you're not happy. Why? Our lives are, con- we're constantly battling ourselves. We constantly need self-discipline, control ourselves or do things that we're supposed to be doing. And we constantly have choices that we have to make. It's sometimes easier to make bad choices. And we have to work hard to make the good choices. Now, any time a person is struggling, whenever, you're, whenever, you have a, when, whenever you're sad or depressed, it's going to be very hard to have the energy to get things done and very hard to do the right thing. People who are sad do bad things just because it's easier and they don't have the drive or the energy to do the right thing. When you're happy, you're also energized and you're driven and you have the energy to do the right thing. You have the energy to make the right decisions. So you'll not only are you better to be around and more successful and um, healthier when you're happy, you'll also make better decisions and you'll also... Make the, take the extra effort to do more good when you're happy. So because of that, God expects us to be happy. Now there is no specific commandment, although the Torah implies that we're supposed to be happy, telling us we'll be punished for not being happy. There is no specific commandment to be happy, with the exception of Sukkot. We do have a commandment to be happy on Sukkot. We don't have a specific commandment to be happy. But though happiness may not be a commandment, it is the key to all commandments. You cannot truly, properly follow God's commandments if you're not happy. If you're sad, it will lead you to not follow the commandments. So it's really, really important to always be happy. So how do you do that? How can a person be sure that they are always happy? How can we make sure that no matter what, in all situations, whatever we're going through, how can we try to always be happy? Sometimes certain situations make it hard to be happy. Some people are just not happy people. They just have a hard time being happy. Nothing going wrong, they just have a hard time being happy. So how can we make sure to always be happy? So to know how to make sure to be happy, we first need to know what is happiness. What does it mean to be happy? Never thought about it. What does it mean to be happy? Yes. Part of it is content with your lot. You're yeah. content. Okay, you're content. Is content synonymous with happiness? Being content means you're happy? No. no. Sometimes you can be very happy even if you're not entirely content with everything. Or you could be contentness and not, maybe not necessarily be happy. Yes? Um, you, you do your duty. You step up. Uh, you have responsibilities at work, at home. Sometimes you do your duty and you're not happy about it. Okay, you won't be happy if you don't do it. But what is happiness? What does the word mean? What does it mean to be happy? To love yourself. Feeling fulfilled. Feeling fulfilled 
feeling fulfilled. Okay. Yes? Lack of unhappiness. Very, very good. Very good. And you're on to something. So Chassidus and Jewish mysticism explains that happiness cannot be explained. You cannot explain what happiness is because happiness is not something, but it's exactly as Barry says. Happiness is simply the lack of unhappiness. And think of it in the sense of health. Think of it health. You're healthy. What does it mean to be healthy? Everything is just fine. Someone asks you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We always say thank God. Jews always say thank God. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So how are you doing? Great. Everything perfect. So what's going on? It's just fine. There's nothing more to say. Everything is just fine. When it's not so fine, how are you doing? Oi, I got to tell you, my back, and my head, and my heart, and my blood pressure, right? When you got a problem, then you can get very descriptive. There's lots of details of the specifics of the problem, but you're healthy. What does it feel like to be healthy? Feels great. Doesn't feel. There's no feeling to be healthy. If you feel your head, you're not healthy. You feel your heart, it's a bad sign. You feel any limb in your body, there's a problem there. If you're healthy, you don't feel anything. Everything's just fine. No problems. There's nothing to talk about. Feel whole. You feel whole. You, feel you don't feel anything. You just don't feel. Your, bother, your body is not bothering you. You're perfectly healthy. You're at ease. Nothing's bothering you, right? Your pinky's bothering you. You're unhealthy. You can't move because your pinky's bothering you. Your little toe, whatever it may be. So it could be something very small, but it's small enough to, it's big enough to keep bothering you. And you have something to kvetch about, something to complain about. But when you're healthy, everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Nothing to complain about. So it's a healthiness, health, sorry, is simply a lack of any sickness or any unhealthiness, lack of any problems. Happiness, Chassidah says, is really, and Jewish mysticism teaches, is really the same kind of thing. Happiness means you're not unhappy. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, I got lots of problems. In Yiddish we have a word, tsaris. I got lots of tsaris. I got lots of problems. My, my back and my head, my blood pressure, and my job, and my boss, and my house, and the plumbing, and uh, every, all the other problems with my house, and my relationships with my family. You could have all the tzardas, all the problems that you could describe in great detail. And then, that, then you got a problem. Then there's something wrong. You're unhappy. There's things bothering you. And then you're happy. Happy. How you doing? Perfect. Everything's fine. So how you doing? Fine. Nothing to complain about. What can I tell you? There's nothing more to say. Right? They say no news is good news, right? It's the news that's the problem. Right? It's so happiness simply means, Barry said before, you're not unhappy. You have nothing specifically bothering you. Everything's just fine. No concerns, no challenges, no issues whatsoever. Everything is just perfect. So that's what happiness means. Just like health means your body, perfect. Mental health, your brain, perfect. Happiness, in your entirety, everything, perfect. 
Everything's fine. Yes, Louise? I Well, if you're thinking negative, you've got a problem, yes. right? <laughs> no problems. You're fine. You're happy. I, I think, uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, uh, but um, it's like you're not happy, or you're, the way you're defining it is, um, I mean, it's like if things are happening to you, uh, your health is poor. You're not doing that to yourself, so your health is poor. But even people who are unhealthy can be happy. So it emanates from within. So let's talk about how people could be very good. So how can people be happy? So the easiest way to be happy is to have no challenges, no problems, (laughs) have no issues whatsoever. Life is perfect. Now, unfortunately, in real life, that never really happens. Have you ever met someone who has a perfect life? In Yiddish, we say everybody has their own pekel, which is package. Everyone, every person comes along with their own package. So everyone has their own issues. Everyone has their own problems. Um, in Judaism, we generally split everything into um, health, finance, and family. Those are the three issues that we deal with in life. So we all have problems, and there can be other problems on top of that. Some people are very worried about what's going on in In the country, in the state, in the world, people tell me how things are going. Oh, you wouldn't even know what just happened in Washington, D.C. And I ask you how things are going. What do you care about? But anyway, people have sometimes big problems. Uh, But you can have small personal problems. You can have big problems worried about what's going on in the world. But most people have problems. Most people have issues. Everyone has their own package. So can a person ever be happy? Is it possible to ever be truly happy? Nothing fully content? No problems? Nothing bothering you? The answer is yes. So can somebody, okay. you know, who's having a problem, Very good problem. Very good point. So the common way to become happy is when really good things happen to you, so you just ignore the bad stuff. So really good things happen. You had, you, maybe you got rid of a problem or just good things, positive things happen to you. So then you're so happy about the good things, you don't worry about the bad things. The good is so powerful, it makes you forget all your problems, right? Take your wedding, for example. A wedding is the most stressful event in your life, right? <laughs> You've got to plan this so many different details, so much to put on for a wedding. Yet when you come to your wedding, for most people at least, They forget all the stresses of the wedding and the joy of getting married is so overwhelming that you forget about all your other problems. You're so happy. Or having a child is another example. You have a child, it's the most stressful thing. It's painful. It's stressful. There's so many things they have to worry about. But you're so excited about the good fortune that you have this created, this new, have this new person in your life and you've created this child, you're so happy about it, you forget about it. You ignore all the stresses and all the other problems that come along with it. And the same also happens in little stuff. Things go well, you do well, you made a good deal, you met a good friend, you had a pleasant evening. Things go well, and you, get, you kind of forget all of your problems for a little bit. You put your problems aside. When you're not focused on any problems, you're happy. So sometimes we can have good things happening to us that are strong enough, powerful enough to help us forget our problems and stresses. 
That's how a person becomes happy. And we all get those really joyous moments. We forget about everything else. We forget about our problems. And so we're happy. Nothing's bothering us right now. Yes, we have to still pay for the wedding. That's, uh, we still have a lot of bills. We'll worry about that tomorrow. That's not our issue right now. We're not concerned about that because we're so happy. Yes, we have a lot of sleepless nights ahead of us with this baby. So we're not worried about that right now. Now we're happy. Right Now we have something to be joyous about. Now we have something positive that is, has drowned out all of our problems. Yes, Dave? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been at those weddings where um, the bride and groom are not enjoying their wedding because they don't know how to put the stress on the side and focus on, uh, focus on the joy of the wedding. And I've seen people have children that are not enjoying it because uh, they're worried about the stresses. So, and that throughout life, definitely. Um, not always the people learn to enjoy the good things, but it's definitely a great thing. Learn to enjoy the good things in life. And be so, let, be so content and so focused on the good things that it lets you forget all of the problems. You don't have to worry about them. If you're not worrying about them, you're happy. You can have certain positives and certain negatives at the same time. But true happiness is when, true happiness is when you're not concerned about them, when you're not stressed about them. doesn't mean you don't, you're not aware of them. You are aware of them. You know they're there. You haven't forgotten about them. You're just not letting them bother you. They say you're only as happy as your least happy child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, I don't know if I'm... Uh, saying it right what Dennis Prigger always says but if you act happy you'll feel happy you know your behavior is. yes and then he also says if you focus on the positive parts of life and not focus on the negatives you just ha- act happy but the other thing that really struck me um, when he said this one time that some people are just born happy you don't have a choice you're just some people have an easier time focusing on the positives. Some people on the negative focus more on the negatives. But ultimately, we have a lot of control over that. And often we get kind of engrossed in negatives or engrossed in positives. Uh, we or get engrossed in negatives on the negative side, and we have trouble being happy. But often it's our own creation. So the easy solution... Sorry, Ken. Yeah, that's very true. Because we have control over attitude. Absolutely. And they say that Yes, yes, and it's all about how you how you see it. So the easy solution to so being happy. Living in World War II Europe. It depends how bad your tsarists are. Some people okay. have really, really bad tsarists. If you're starving, very hard and waiting for your next meal, and it's very hard to be happy. You're absolutely right. So, so the easy solution to be happy is. Focus on all the happy things happening to you, all the good things, and allow them to drown out all of your problems, all of your tsars. That's easier said than done. The, to do that, you have to really, depends how many bad things you have happening to you at any given time, and it's not always the same. At times we have more, at times we have less, so it depends very much how much bad is happening to you. It depends very much how much good is happening to you. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we really do have problems. How do we drown them out? How do we get over them and be happy? Be totally set. There's nothing bothering us whatsoever in order to reach perfect happiness. Oh, Joe, Joe didn't feel 
just had faith, but it didn't feel happy necessarily. So there's a famous, there's a famous story. Sorry? Faith is not happiness. Faith is not happiness, no. But there is a connection. We'll see in a moment. There is a connection between faith and happiness. So there's a story, very well-known story, with the great Hasidic leader called the Magid of Mizrich. His name was Dovber of Mizrich. And one of his students one time came to him and asked him, how is it possible to thank God? The Talmud says one should thank God for bad things that he does just as we thank God for good things. How is that possible? How is it possible to be grateful for bad things that happen to you? So the Maggid of, Miz- of Mizritra by Dover told this student, go visit one of my students called Reb Zusha, who lived in a town called Anapoli, which was not far from where the Maggid lived in Mizritra, and uh, ask him the question. He'll be able to answer the question for you. So this fellow goes to this town, Anapoli, and he finds uh, this student, whose name was Reb Zusha, and he, he finds, he lives in a broken down hut at the edge of town, He's extremely poor. He sees poverty all across the hut. Um, the children are wearing rags. There's no furniture. Extremely, extremely poor. And he looks like he really has nothing whatsoever. And so anyway, he knocks on the door and Ribzusha greets him, invites him in. And he says, I was sent by your teacher, the Magad of Mizrich, to ask you a question that I had asked him, which is, how can you be grateful to God for the negative things that he does to you? So Reb Zusha responds, I don't know why he sent you to me, because I've never experienced anything negative. Nothing bad has ever happened to me before. So it's a very cute story. It's a nice story um, with a clear lesson that with a clear lesson that sometimes you can be grateful by not even noticing the bad. Um, he was, um, but it's really a very powerful story when you think about it. Reb Zusha, we know, was a great sage. Um, we have books from him, very um, brilliant, brilliant individual, um, one of the great students of the Magad of Misrich. He wasn't a fool. He wasn't a foolish person who was perhaps oblivious to the negatives happening in his life. Did he not know of his suffering? Did he not know? Was he not aware of the problems? Was he not aware that despite his poverty, he had a responsibility to take care of his family? which is very difficult, right? You don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage, or you don't know how you're going to pay for the next meal, even harder. Where's the next meal going to come from? It's a struggle. It's difficult. He wasn't, he, do you think he was unaware of it? Do you think he was living a um, kind of a life outside of the real world, not knowing of his struggles? He definitely knew of his struggles. He was smart. He knew that he was missing a lot. He knew that he needed a lot of help. He knew he was in trouble. So why then did he not consider any bad things happening to him? So what he did was, he didn't bother him. Yes, there were negatives happening in his life. Everyone has negatives in their lives. Some people more than others. Everyone has bad things in their lives. But it didn't bother him whatsoever. He was focused more on more important things. And it really depends what your goals in life are. If your life is about materialism, Your life is about finance. Your life is about health. Your life is about family. Your life is about friends. You're always going to have challenges because no life is perfect. If those are the things that are very important to you, and those are things normally people think of as very important, right? Finance, health, family, friends, very important things. 
If those are the most important things in your life, you're never going to be happy. Because no one's finance, health, family, and friends is ever going to be perfect. You'll always have, whether if you don't have one, you have the other. Talmud says that God has three keys. The key to wealth, the key to health, and the key to family. There's the three keys. And a person never gets more than one or at most two at a time. You don't get all three. It's very rare. I wouldn't say never. It's very rare. So you have one, you don't have the other. So your finance is perfect. Your health is imperfect. Your health is perfect. Your family is not perfect. Family is perfect. Your, friend, friend, your social life is not perfect. There's always problems somewhere. So if they are the core parts of your life, and they're very important, finance, health, family, friends, if those are the true core, impor- most important things of your life, life will never be perfect. You'll always have problems. You'll always have tzaras. You'll never be happy. I don't buy it. But. <laughs> I don't buy it. Why can't you be happy even if you have source? But if that's what your life is about. But if you could step above that life. If your life is not about that. If your life is about spirituality. If you're focused on something above all of those things. If you're focused, yes, those things are important, but my ultimate life is, my ultimate goal is, I'm here, placed by God here on this world with a mission, with a purpose. And so those things I need, finance, I need health, I need family, and I need friends in order to succeed. But those are all means to an end. My ultimate goal is I was placed here to connect with God. And that, I'm the only one who's going to stop myself from it. Nobody else can stop me from it. If we step above that, we could learn for th- we can teach ourselves to allow for these important things not to bother us. Take for example, you have faded curtains in your home. Every time you walk into your home, you see those faded curtains, and we gotta get new curtains. We have to get new curtains. Those curtains are horrible. They're faded. We need to get new curtains. And it bothers me. Every time I, w- I wake up in the morning, come downstairs, I see those curtains. It bothers me. I wake up in the morning, I walk into my house, I see those curtains. We need to get new curtains. It upsets me every time. Why didn't I get it till now? Well, I don't have the time. I don't have the, fi- the money for it. Um, I, I can't agree with my spouse onto what sort of curtains we should get, whatever it is. But it really upsets me. We need to get new curtains, right? It can be really upsetting. We get obsessed with it. It's really a problem. One way you could go about it. Or you could choose, you know what? I don't really care. It doesn't really matter if my curtains are faded. Who so what? So my curtains are faded. Big deal. That doesn't matter. That's not the most important thing in life. Now, I still need to change my curtains. I would like to change them. And when I can get everything, when I have the time and I have the money and we can agree on what new cur- which new curtains we should get, then yes, we're going to go ahead and get the curtains and it's on our to-do list. We are going to get it. We haven't forgotten about it. We have, we're not ignoring it, but it's not bothering us. It's not concerning us. Curtains are easy. Sometimes there's bigger problems in life. Bigger, the little tsarists, and most of the time what makes us unhappy is these little stuff. 
my car isn't starting, it makes me unhappy. This is not going the way it should. That's not going the way it should. Um, it's often the very small stuff that in the bigger scheme of things, that stuff really doesn't matter. But then we could go even a step further, like Reb Zusha. You know what? I just lost my job. I'm out, of, I'm out of a job. I have nothing. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. I don't know how I'm going to pay the, ne- pay the credit card. Right? I just lost my job. So, very upsetting, isn't it? It's one of the worst things that could happen to a person. Lost my job. So now, I recognize I need to get a new job. That's for certain. I've got to go through the process of filling, filling out the resumes and going, uh, uh, the, filling out the job applications, going to job interviews. Got to go through the process of getting a new job, figuring out what you're going to do next. Got to work on it. Can't sit back and be lazy. But then you could also choose how much is it going to bother me. Am I going to let it get to me and say, I have no job. What am I going to do? My life is finished. I'm in big trouble and let it bother me. Or I could say, you know what? Okay, I lost my job. It's a, something that has to be resolved, something that has to be taken care of. But I could move further. I could keep going. There's other more important parts of life as well. There's more important things, and ultimately I'm on a greater mission, and this is just one of the things that was meant to happen to me. Or a person can face um, a health problem, God forbid. Some of us have serious health problems or have faced serious health problems or a loved one faces serious health problems. Again, you've got to deal with the health problem. You've got to go to the doctor. Sometimes dealing with the health problems can be very, very painful, very difficult um, to deal with our health problems. We've got to deal with them. We've got to be aware of them. But we choose how much we want it to bother us, how much we want it to upset us. Are we going to be upset? Or this is just another stepping stone. This is something else that we have to do. But ultimately, our goal is something higher. So it's up to us to choose what kind of life we want to live. Ultimately, Happiness means that you have nothing upsetting you, nothing bothering you. And nobody's life is going to be perfect. It's our choice, though, to let those imperfections and those problems, the little stuff is easy. Anyone can do it. The bigger stuff is very difficult sometimes, but it's ultimately our choice. How much do we want that to bother us? How much do we want to... Let the problems in life bother us or say, you know what? I'm on a mission. I'm on a goal. I'm here. God created me with a purpose. I'm following through my role in life as I'm supposed to. And everything that happens to me is meant to happen. I've got to continue doing my job to try to fix whatever problems I may have. But don't let it bother me. Keep going and keep doing what I'm supposed to do. It's our choice which direction we want to go. Sandy, do you want to add something? I thought I heard you say obsess, obsess on these things. Obsess. We shouldn't obsess with these things, yes. But I I did want to say something. Um, um, Years ago, when my mother-in-law passed away, uh, she was a very happy person. But she had a lot of service in her life, and real things, some big things, some not so big. And she wore glasses, and... um, at the eulogy, I said something about it wasn't as if she didn't notice these other things, but she chose to put on her rose-colored glasses. She chose to look at the good, to find the good in whatever um, happened. And uh, for whatever reason, she totally, if you ask anyone, was a very, very happy person. 
Absolutely. So it's our choice to notice the good, but more importantly, not to let the bad bother us. And the, the small things is very easy. And uh, sometimes we do let it bother us. And if we just think about it for a few minutes, it's very easy. Oh, my car didn't start. I'm on my way to my appointment and I'm going to miss the next appointment. And all right, so you miss it. Your car didn't start. Big deal. Right? It doesn't matter that much. It's, it's really not in the bigger scheme of things. It's not a reason to be upset. Um, it's not a reason to be unhappy. Most of these things are not there. You've got to take care of it. You've got to call AAA. Um, it's happened to all of us. You've been on your way. Today you have Uber. So I've done that before. Your car doesn't start. You leave the car in the parking lot and just go take an Uber. I've done that, and I've done that at a grocery store before. So, um, and you, you keep going. You do whatever. If you have an appointment, then you keep going. Or you miss the appointment. You'll, you'll survive it. Um, you could keep going. And so long as you have a greater role in life, your goal is for greater good. Your goal is not for yourself. But your goal, your goal is not just to have money. Your goal is not just to have a family. Your goal is not just to have health. But your goal is to make a difference, make an impact, and ultimately fill your covenant with God, if that's your greater goal, these things, even the bigger stuff, doesn't need to bother you. Yes, you need to take care of it. Don't ignore it, but it shouldn't bother you. It doesn't need to bother you. Yes, Stephen? Well, if you define goals as spirituality, and let's just boil that down in this world to performing mitzvahs, let's say you're in a situation in, in Russia with the Stalinist government, can't get matzah, you don't have a prayer book, you don't have wine, you can't do this mitzvah, the other mitzvah, or even more close to home. Let's say the Rebbe says, start a yeshiva in three days. You have to have a donut to start a yeshiva in three days if you're, uh, if you're on shalitas. These are defined Excellent as question. Excellent question. mitzvahs, and, and it's not about... So what happens if something, you actually have this greater mission, you're trying to make an impact, and something is stopping you from making an impact? Should that make you upset? So if we believe that our life is driven by God and ordained by God and everything is planned and we believe we believe in providence, everything is planned by God, then if there's a challenge in your way from performing a specific mitzvah, or for that matter, if you don't have a job, so you can't perform the basic mitzvah of taking care of your family. So if you have these challenges, if it's all ordained, then this was a challenge that you're meant to have in life. It's just part of, it's not something that should bother me. It's not something that should make me unhappy. It's just something else that I have to do. Another thing to add to my to-do list. Well, it's like my wife always says with the Zusha story. Nobody asks Mrs. Zusha what she thinks. <laughs> it's an important consideration. I mean, you, you know, you talk about providing for your family, but from such a holy man, obviously... You know, there are, there are others there. They're not going to be, you know, dancing. Yes, we have to take care of other people around us. We have an obligation to do so, absolutely. We're not right now focusing on what led, leads a person, and maybe people may have done things themselves that led them to negative situations and their own responsibility. And we're not focused on that right now. No. What we are focused on is if you are in a negative situation, um, don't let it bother you. Rem- remember that it's all ordained, that God had this plan, and this is just part of the plan, just add that to your to-do list. I say kind of on the extreme, though, I mean, if we look at the Holocaust survivor population, like when my dad's side of the family, there was so much joy, um, compared to my mom's side of the family, Phil can attest to this, just so much gratitude and happiness, and, you know, that they have family, that they live. 
Right. And to uh, use the example of the Holocaust, which is somewhat of an extreme example, um, most Holocaust survivors, with some exceptions, uh, but most Holocaust survivors did pick, despite having lost everything and gone through the worst sorrows a person can go through, most of them did pick up and did keep going. And did, um, some had a hard time. Um, Elie Wiesel writes in his book about how he had a hard time picking up, keep going, have, building a family. Um, it took him years to want to have a family. But most did. Most kept going. And uh, recognizing that whatever God gave them, you've got to keep, keep moving, keep doing your, what you're supposed to be doing. Not that we could ever put ourselves in their position or judge their position. Yes, Ken? There's two concepts that I think you know, really relate here. Number one is acceptance. A lot of what you're talking about is acceptance. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to do. You know, you may not understand it, you may not like it, but accepting it is something that allows you to move forward. The other thing is now, living in the now. Okay, these are, these are tips to be able to better not allow things to bother you, both accept, accepting what's happening or recognizing that everything's coming from God and recognizing that um, and um, not worrying about the future because ultimately God's in charge and he's in control. Um, but ultimately, if your goal is to have a lot of money and your business has gone sour, if that's your goal in life, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, if your goal in life is to be super healthy and you're having health problems, you're in a lot of trouble. So if those are our goals in life, um, if our goal in life is to have everything that I need materially or to have a lot of friends and um, I'm struggling socially, then again, we'll be in a lot of trouble. We've got to have greater goals. We've got to think beyond that. We've got to think a little bit higher than that. So let me, let me conclude just before we run out of time. In Kabbalah, we explain that wine is considered a sophisticated drink. Wine was, is the drink of prestige in Judaism, which is why we always use wine um, for Kiddush, for Havdalah, in every religious ceremony. We always use wine. It's a prestigious drink. It represents human wisdom and understanding. People are naturally calculated. We're always trying to figure everything out. Every, make it make sense. Everything that happens to us, why is this happening? What caused it? What's happening? We're always trying to calculate everything. When things don't go the way we expect, the way we'd like them to go, it bothers us. We want things to make sense. We want things to work out. We want things to be predictable. That's the wine in our lives. Now, that's very good. It's good to calculate. It's good to understand. People are very calculated naturally. The problem is, in reality, things don't always work out. Things don't go the way we want. Things don't go. I remember when I was younger, starting out in life as an adult, um, I had friends who had everything calculated, how much they were going to earn every year, all the way through to retirement, and um, exactly how much money they would then have to retire with. I had one friend. Um, he ended up getting a job somewhere. He had everything calculated till the end. Um, anyway, the place he was working for went under um, like a year after he got the job, he ended up having to move back to New York where I, where, where I was and uh, all his calculations didn't work out. And he told me he learned that those kind of calculations don't really work. But we, we always like to calculate. We like to plan. Um, we have now a whole industry um, of planning, plan your future. Um, in reality, and we like to, humans like to do that. We're, we're very calculated people. Uh, we're very calculated naturally. But things don't always work the way they're supposed to. Things don't always go the way they're expected. Um, in every part of life, whether as far as with our health, things don't go the way we expect them, with our finances, with our family, things just don't go the way there's always surprises. Things don't go the way they're expected. Uh, and so, yes? Sorry, the, the um, proper man um, plans and God 
man plans and God laughs. It, la- it rhymes in Yiddish. A man stracht and God laughed. So it. So wine. When we live a wine calculated life, um, things don't work out the way they're supposed to. Things go wrong. Water, however, is the tasteless drink. It represents simplicity. No calculations, no expectations. The Torah tells us, Tamim Be perfect with God. God warns us against um, divination, going to psychics, is forbidden in Judaism. Uh, we're not allowed to go to psychics, we're not allowed to divine, we're not allowed to look in the crystal ball, all of those things. We are allowed to plan, we are supposed to plan, but we're not allowed supposed to do any supernatural form of divination, of figuring out the future. God says, do things simply. Now, we are allowed to plan, but even when planning, we're supposed to be simple. In other words, live with no calculations. We've got to live to a point with no expectations. Everything's just fine. It is whatever it is. It's going to be whatever it's supposed to be. I follow my job and I take whatever I get. And if we take that kind of attitude, if we take a water kind of attitude, nothing bothers us. Water is a, the water attitude is life without any challenges. Life with no problems whatsoever. Because nothing could bother me. Whatever happens, faded curtains, doesn't bother me. Other uh, car not running, doesn't bother me. Other bigger problems, doesn't bother me. I don't have any expectations from life. I get, I follow my job and I do what I get, whatever I'm expecting. What I get whatever God gives me. So water then is the key to our happiness. On Sukkot, we begin and we have a new beginning. It's the beginning of the year after our day of judgment and our day of atonement, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. After our new year, it's when we start off our year. Sukkot reminds us to step above regular life. Step above it, live a simple life or live a life where we don't have those, the expectations, we don't have the calculations. Be less concerned the detail, in detail. In Kabbalah, we call it living a life, an infinite life. Don't get caught up in the details, in the finite. Infinity has no form whatsoever, no detail whatsoever. Live a simple life, a perfect life, a life of infinity. Rise above the detail, focus on just live a simple life, live a life of water. Now, you can't just live a life of water, which is why year-round on the altar, they would indeed pour wine on the altar as well. Because we're created by God as people to notice the little things, to pay attention to them, and they are important. If your car is not starting and you just leave it, you won't have a car. Your phone breaks and you leave it, you won't have a phone. Your plumbing backs up and you leave it, your house is going to start smelling very soon. You've got to take care of these things, right? You've got a health problem, you've got high blood pressure, you've got to take care of it. You can't ignore these things. We are meant to be calculated. We are meant to figure out what's going wrong, and we are meant to figure out how to fix those things going wrong. God did create us as wine or as intelligent beings, calculated beings, with the ability to calculate, with the ability to plan and the ability to figure things out and fix things and resolve things. And don't ignore them when there's a problem. So we were created to sweat over the little things and we are supposed to spend our time sweating over the little things. But today when we start on a clean slate just four days after Yom Kippur, we need to begin with a water holiday. We need to start off by 
recognizing that ultimately all those little things, yes, we, need to, we can't ignore them. Yes, we need to note them and pay attention to them and put them on our to-do list, but don't let them bother us. Rise above those petty things in life. Rise above those life's challenges. And then we can focus on what really counts. And what truly counts in life, what truly counts in life, Stephen mentioned this earlier, is we were chosen by God, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago. We, our people, were chosen by God as to be His chosen people, to follow His commandments with this unique covenant that we gave us, and to be able to, we were placed by God here on a mission here on earth. We believe all of humanity was, but we were given a very unique, we're the special ops. We were given a unique mission um, here on earth. And so nothing matters more than that. The greatest joy that we have, um, Jewish teachings tell us, is simcha shel mitzvah, the joy of a mitzvah. The greatest joy that we have is when we could do a mitzvah, when we could do something to connect with the infinite. That's the greatest joy we're doing we're following our purpose here in life. Yes, we need to do all the little stuff. Yes, we need to take care of the small things, but the little stuff are irrelevant. True joy then is the joy of the mitzvah. True joy is then connecting to the infinite. So 